Welcome back to Round Guy Radio, and we are here at Henshaw Trailer Sales in Richland, Iowa, and uh, we are going to talk about the planning season with Corwin Henshaw. Welcome to the program, Corwin. Hey, welcome. Well, we had uh, surveyed our listeners and asked them what it was that we weren't covering that they wanted us to cover, and overwhelmingly it was ag. Uh, now, we talked to you about the harvest, and the harvest went very smooth. We had the right weather and, and, and good conditions. But the planting season is the exact opposite of that, it seems like. Can you tell us how the planting season's going? Oh, it's very slow. It's way behind. Uh, most of the time, you have probably close to half your corn in by the 15th of April. And I doubt there is over about 7-8% uh, of the corn in, and I doubt there's over 2 or 3% of the beans in, in this part of the state. But I think it's pretty well the same most parts of Iowa. Uh, we were considered under a drought here a couple of months ago, and I just uh, heard on the news where that has been lifted. Our part of the state is uh, have an abundant amount of water now. Well, we want to have those water tables uh, at a good state, and I guess that would be the positive news. But uh, I did check. Uh, some of the places in the state have as much as 15% planted. It looked like we were about 3% planted. Yeah. But it just uh, the, are the fields just unworkable? Oh, totally. Yes, uh, we just keep getting rains uh, too close together. I noticed uh, there was a little spurt uh, uh, the first of the week, end of last week, on some fields that were tiled well and drained well, but uh, the majority of the people couldn't even go then that had ground that was questionable as far as uh, tile and uh, wetness. Well, I'm hearing a lot about ground temperature. We need a, I don't know what ground temperature we need, but a lot of people are saying yeah. the temperature isn't there. No, it wasn't there. And I don't know since I heard that, that uh, we've had much increase in the ground temperature. One time I heard that ground temperature was right at 40 degrees and you need it up around 50 for uh, corn to sprout and beans to sprout. And I think it's still down there. We're supposed to get warm weather next week. In fact, one day next week, I think Tuesday, they're calling for maybe 90. Yeah, it looks like we're going to go from the 40s into the 80s and above and skip all the nice 60 and 70 degrees. Yeah, but we need that to get this dried out fast so they can get in the field. It's starting to, it's not super late yet, but uh, when you figure a 1st of May, that's that's getting uh, where it's getting a little late for this crop. Where, where would it where would things, uh, where a farmer would have to make some adjustments? I mean, how much further along? Oh, I, well, usually you got to make some adjustments somewhere around the 10th to 15th of May. Uh, anything before that, you wouldn't have to make any adjustments. Now, corn, uh, there's different kinds of seeds that, you know, we got seeds that grow in Canada, you know, matter, matter shorter season. Is there, uh, is that the kind of adjustment a farmer might have? Oh, that's there? totally the kind of adjustment. After May 15th, they're going to have to start thinking about shorter season corn and returning their longer, fuller season corn um, because you don't know what's going to happen in the fall, whether you're going to get an early frost or a late frost. But what, what about uh, uh, beans? Uh, beans can go in a lot later, can't they? Beans can go in later, but it, it's getting to be where a lot of people will put their beans in sometimes ahead of their corn. Because beans goes on sunlight hours. That's how they consider, they uh, uh, mature. Whereas corn doesn't. Go, corn goes mainly on days and, of course, heat. But beans require, uh, the more longer days you have, the more mature the beans get and the better yields you get. 
Now, it wasn't that many. Two, three years ago, we kind of had a cold, wet spring that was kind of extended, and it seemed like the whole state of Iowa was planted in about 10 days. Oh, that now. This new equipment, I just noticed uh, when they were planting here, a farmer locally had two 24-row planters. It just does not take long anymore with these uh, precision planters and the size of these planters. So have you talked to some farmers and are they having some concerns? Yeah, they were, yes, I've talked to a couple of fellows that rent my ground. Uh, I did farm. I had 1,200 acres. Uh, and then in 2005, I, I uh, sold because I needed to update equipment and stick with the trader business. And uh, that being said, I've talked to a couple of farmers and uh, they said, uh, yeah, it's starting to get a little nervous. Yeah, I think, how, you think if we had uh, uh, three days with good weather and sunshine, they could start to plant? Yeah, I think it, that would not be on all the ground, but that would be on uh, some of the better tiled ground. Yes, I think uh, three to four days of hot weather and uh, they'd be in rolling. Well, you mentioned tiling. Uh, is that the main thing that you can do to try to uh, get these fields to drain? Oh, definitely. Uh, tiling, even in, it's, even in dry conditions, tile seems to help. And I don't know why that is, but it does. And definitely in wet conditions, it gets the soil dried out quicker. Well, we talked to Drish Contracting, and they did some drainage. And they would take a, a float like a, what do you call those? GPS. The, dr the drones. Yes, they'd all float, the drones. They'd, they'd, they'd fly a drone yeah. out over your, yeah. your field uh -huh. and take pictures of it. And then they would come back and concentrate on the areas where there was standing water. Right. Right. And then they, they would uh, design a system. Uh, is there a lot of that going on? Is it hard to get somebody to do that? Or do you have to kind of... Oh, I think it's like a lot of things. Tiles get, is hard to get. And tiles very expensive now. Just like uh, your food at the grocery store and just like your fuel at the gas pump. Uh, it is out of sight. I had some uh, tiling done on some of my farms this fall. And um, the conservation or the uh, federal government helps you with that. Uh, if they lay it out, uh, they'll help support that and uh, uh, need be as expensive as it is. Do a lot of farmers here have tile on, in their fields? Uh, a lot, and they just, it's a never ending process because mm -hmm. they don't all, yes, but they continue every year to put more in and put more in. Yeah, I see, I see them constantly doing it, and uh, it seems like a, a necessity. And it's very important. Well, I talked to a Pioneer seed corn dealer at the farm show, and he said there was even uh, some supply chain problems with getting seeds and things like that. Have you heard of any farmers? No, I have not heard of that, but um, I wouldn't know, wouldn't know why it wouldn't be because it's uh, sort of that way with anything else, I know. Well, uh, just let us know about any other aspect of farming or planting that's... Uh, that's going on and, and what's critical uh, to be, uh, we're looking at right now for farmers. Well, I'll tell you this farming thing is a total different uh, thing than it used to be. The new chemicals they have out now that uh, take care of uh, the uh, weeds and the, the insects, it's a whole different ball game. Uh, and every year and every 10 years, they have to redo this seed because 
then uh, the weeds uh, are uh, not are not dying because they're used to the chemical, and then uh, they have to change the chemicals, and it's it's never ending and always involving. Well, Mother Nature has a lot of uh, ways to get around things. Oh boy, it? Mother Nature has. Some what what kind of uh, weeds and things are, are we talking about for Southeast Iowa? Oh, there's so many. It's you know foxtail and water hemp and uh, buttonweed and. Uh, there's a lot of weeds out there that uh, get uh, uh, where they are, are tolerant to the chemicals, and that's why they have to change these chemicals every uh, so often. Well, I know a lot of farmers buy some special grass uh, and plant it in certain places. Can you tell me the, why do they do that? And oh, how yeah. Does it help? Well, the, gov the government is promoting that as to help with weed control because. They, they plant it in the fall, and then the grass gets up immediately, and what that does is form a cover, just like throwing a blanket down over uh, weeds, and the weeds can't come up through it because the grass is taller than the weeds. The weeds don't get up fast, and the grass does, and it also helps uh, with erosion. It helps uh, hold the soil, and the government is uh, really promoting that. In fact, they have a program where they help with the expense of that, and uh, it's it's sort of a wash, I think, with uh, what they help far as uh, uh, cost efficiency is about the same. But the difference is you get this ground cover and and you get this blanket, and it's good to hold the soil. So it's a positive. Well, I spent a year in FFA in, in high school in the 1980s, and everybody was hot on soil conservation at the time, and there was a lot of fence rows issues where they weren't planting, uh, and now it seems like they are planting to the fence rows. Have they got some new technology, and, and how are we doing on the topsoil erosion? Oh, the, the new technology is coming out all the time. with The planters that uh, can uh, precision plant right to the kernel, for instance, the seed corn is so expensive anymore. Now they have a planter that will literally shut off when it meets a cross row. It's almost like you've uh, cultivated and made it look like it was there. It, it's planted precisely, and you don't overuse any um, of your corn. Well, let me ask you, when you were a young man and you were farming, uh, how long would it take you to plant? What would it cost you for a bag of seed? And uh, how many eight bushels per acre do you think you could have got then versus now? Oh, there's quite a little difference in, in the expenses. Um, you know, seed back uh, when I was farming, uh, you could get about you get about 2.3 acres per bag of seed, and that seed would run you somewhere in the $50 range to $75. So it was pennies, and now you're talking $400 a bag for seed. You're talking $100 at least, minimum $100 an acre just for seed. And the chemicals the same way it used to be. You could get chemicals on for fifty, sixty dollars an acre. Now it's a hundred and fifty or sixty dollars an acre. And fertilizer, the same story. It's clear out of sight. I'd hate to even guess what it costs per acre now for anhydrous ammonia and for uh, phosphate and potash. Well, uh, you mentioned fertilizer, and uh, I was seeing in the news that uh, lots of the fertilizer in the world is made in Russia. Oh. Uh, 
definitely uh, potash is huge in Russia and potash is huge in Canada also. They have potash mines and uh, a lot of anhydrous ammonia made in, in Russia. And a lot of, it takes uh, natural gas uh, to uh, produce anhydrous ammonia. And so that's going to be a problem with our uh, embargoes on Russia. Yeah. And uh, the, we're looking at a, a world food shortage. Uh, that seems to be a lot in the news. Uh, I, mentioned, I heard the president mention it. Uh, and that, uh, that's not uh, helping out this, uh, this planting season, is it? No, but uh, one thing uh, you got to remember also, the prices have gone up considerably. I mean, I think corn and soybeans are at record highs. Uh, but they're going to have to continue to be at record highs to pay for this high-priced fertilizer and uh, equipment to put this crop in. Yeah, uh, and the, uh, the profit margin is really suffering because of all the extra expenses? Yeah, even well, even with uh, the high-priced corn and high-priced beans, uh, the margins are getting narrower just because the, uh, the inputs are increasing probably more than the uh, price of the commodity. Well, fuel's up, and farmers use tons of fuel uh, to uh, plant and harvest. Uh, how is that uh, affecting their budget? Oh, definitely, that's a big factor. But the one thing that, that is happening, though, is uh, they're doing less tillage work and less uh, turning over of the soil than they used to. They're learning better farming practices, so they don't have that as much expense when you don't go across the field uh, more times than we used to. Well, I know corn and beans are the big things, but what about some of these other uh, crops that are in the area? Uh, are, they, are they affected by the weather? And, uh, the oh, that, all, all crops are affected by the weather. It's just that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with uh, other kinds of crops. Uh, there's some oats grown, there's some wheat grown. Uh, oats and wheat are more in the Kansas uh, area than it is Iowa. Uh, there's sunflower seeds, that type of thing, cotton, uh, but that's something that uh, right here in southeast Iowa we don't, we have, don't a lot of, uh, have a lot of, no. Well, I sure appreciate you you're talking about the, the planting season. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you felt like we should have? Uh, I can't think of what it'd be. We uh, pretty well covered everything uh, that I'm up on anyway. Well, I sure appreciate listening to you. Is the is the farmers have a little more time while they get in here getting trailers? Or? Well, we just sold one this morning to uh, northern Minnesota, and I put that quote out several weeks ago, and the farmer called today and, and ordered it, and sold one yesterday, a horse trailer. And so the sales sales are good. They'd be a lot better if I could get the product. I just yeah, can't you're still struggling with the supply chain problems. Is, yeah, is it getting any better? Or? Uh, no, none, none whatsoever. Uh, I've got traders supposed to be in here next week that have been ordered a year and a half, and I can't believe people are still waiting. But uh, they call other dealers, and it's no different. So, well, uh, through the pandemic, I was uh, seeing some reports we may have lost up to forty percent of small businesses during that, and I'm sure there was a lot of trailer dealers that probably went under, and you seem to be really getting calls from a lot further away. Oh, there's no question about it. Yes, there's less dealers. And what this does also, like people call and say, do you have a good use to uh, livestock trailer? And uh, I tell them, uh, you know, they quit making them, unfortunately. Uh, good used ones. <laughs> 
the, point, the point being is if you can't get the new ones, the used ones get bought up, and then that makes the used market short. So somebody out there that's got a used trailer, uh, what's the value on that, and how much is it going oh, up? Oh, yeah, it's gone up uh, close to the same amount as steel and aluminum's gone up. Aluminum's gone up about 40%. Steel trailers have gone up almost 50%. So, you know, when you started selling trailers, you know, trailers are probably pretty affordable. Oh, my. And yes. now, I mean, yeah. they're like new cars almost. Oh, yes. When you used to sell a trailer, uh, a high-priced trailer used to be in the upper uh, single thousands, and, and now it's it's really nothing to sell 40000 That one today is 47000 You sold just one trailer for 47000 yeah. And that's just a livestock trailer. That's not a horse trailer. And that was to a guy in Minnesota that was yes. really checking around for a yeah, price on the trailer. checked everywhere because... He let me set for a week before he gave me the order, you know, uh, so he called. Yeah, so he, he definitely called. was comparing prices. He called everywhere, yeah. But uh, if you need a trailer and you got to have a trailer, now it does look like you got some more on the lot. you got some that... Well, I've been I've been lucky in, in the last two or three weeks to purchase some uh, used ones that I found. People going out of business, uh, just stopping, and, and uh, they tried selling themselves and didn't get it accomplished, and they called me up, and I made them an offer, and... We came terms. And you're 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 driving all over the place to pick up trailers and look into trailers and get materials. Uh, you know, talk yeah. about some of these trips you're taking to to pick. Met in Michigan, uh, go to Michigan quite often. Uh, Hillsborough, Kansas. That's that's huge. I sometimes two to three trips a week to Hillsborough, Kansas. I go to uh, White Pigeon, Michigan, um, Missouri. Go to uh, Marceline, Missouri. Which is ironic. It's the boyhood home of Walt Disney, and it's my wife's former hometown. We we just did an episode about the Walt Disney Museum there in uh, Marceline, Missouri. I got a guy from Galesburg, Illinois, that likes to take day trips into Iowa, uh -huh. or you know anywhere in the Midwest, and he calls in and tells me about uh, the trips that he took, and that was a very popular. Oh, episode. my that, wife graduated uh, from high school there, and. In 1955, Walt Disney came back on the Santa Fe train, and 100,000 people were there to meet him at the train. He was uh, telling me that uh, there was only one house in town that had air conditioning. Uh -huh. So instead of putting him up in a hotel, they put him in, I think his brother came back. Too. Yes. Yeah, Roy Disney was probably the brains behind the, the, the financial brains behind Disney. Well, uh, Walt said that when he, he loved Marceline, and yeah. he, he, he would say this, I want to find my Marceline, you know. Yeah. And he said there was a, a a big tree that he basically sat under and dreamed up. You know, his imagination uh, would, uh, yeah. you know, dream up these these movies and characters and the ideas that he wanted to put in place. And uh, Marceline's not very far away from here, is it? No, 160 miles. 160 my miles. My wife graduated from high school there. And she saw Walt Disney when he came back. And... Walt Disney, the story is that the doctor, when he was a kid, drove a horse, and he tied the horse up at a store to go in, and Walt sat on the stoop outside and drew a picture of his horse and carriage, and the doctor came out, and he gave him that uh, drawing, and the doctor gave him 25 cents, and they, the story is that is what prompted him to continue drawing. You came back to raise some money or something for a library or a swim pool or... 
a swimming pool. It was a yeah, swimming pool, yeah, wasn't it's, it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, as well, I, I tell my wife, you know, she's from Marceline, I said, the boy at home of Walt Disney, everything there is Mickey Mouse. Well, she, <laughs> and she the was... swimming pool is uh, Mickey Mouse, and the, the, it's uh, Walt Disney Elementary, and his cartoonist came back and uh, drew and uh, put the posters of all the car uh, cartoon characters in the gymnasium that uh, he had. Goofy and Donald Duck and Disney, or uh, um, Mickey Mouse and Minnie. And well, one of the ladies uh, this gentleman talked to at the Marceline Museum was a was a lady that was a young seven or eight, nine years old, something when when Disney came, and they stayed at her house, and she has a, she was there that day for the museum, and I imagine your wife probably knew her. Oh, I oh she you know knew everybody in Marceline. <laughs> you couldn't live in Marceline and not know everybody. Yeah. See, what Marceline's also the home of the world's largest independent um, annual publisher, Walsworth. If you uh, most high school annuals will be printed by Walsworth, but most of the Navy and military uh, annuals are printed by Walsworth. There's also very close to there, like within 20 miles or something. Blackjack Pershing was uh... a Pershing, and that town of Keensville. And it's uh, maybe maybe as big as Ollie. I, it's and it's a county seat town, but it's a hometown of Pershing. Yeah. Now it is county seat for the county that Marceline's in. Well, that's the county seat. Marceline's a little about twice as big. Isn't oh, it? Marceline's around twenty five hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's a real nice town. Yeah, I can take you to the storefront where the angle door is in the corner at the shop. When you walk into Disneyland, this first shop that you go in to buy uh, clothing and that type of thing, it has a door in the corner of the building. And I can take you to that building in Marceline that it was patterned after. And if you go to Disney World, they have a sculpture of downtown Marceline, which is, is Main Street, USA. The building's uh, tops. Well, that is an amazing story. There is a rich history of things to see within a couple hundred miles of here. Yes. Oh, and you need to go every year. They have a tune weekend, they call it, and it's where the cartoon characters come back from uh, Disneyland or Disney World, and they have a parade and an annual event there. And they celebrate this 100th uh, birthday uh, unfortunately, a month after 9-11, uh, uh, and uh, the problem was a month after 9-11, nobody was still moving. They were expecting 50,000 people, and 20 showed up, and it was uh, it was still quite an event, but it, it was uh, dulled by uh, just having 9-11 happen, and that was his 100th birthday. Well, we've been talking to Corwin Henshaw about the planning season, and it kind of morphed into a trip to Marceline, uh, Missouri. But it was a it was a great visit with you, and we really appreciate uh, your information. Thank yeah. you, Corwin. You're welcome.